This Christmas season, we've been following the antics of Charles Schultz's uh, motley crew of characters from A Charlie Brown Christmas, um, and which initially it aired on December 9th, 1965, and it instantly became a holiday classic. Anybody seen it more than five times this year besides me? <laughs> I have young kids at home, and so we watched that movie multiple times. Charlie Brown puts to words a feeling that so many of us feel in our lives, especially at this time of season. He says at the beginning of the, of the film and, and the spe- Christmas special to his friend Linus, I know I should be happy. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. I don't feel what I'm supposed to feel. I feel let down. And for the last four weeks, we have followed Charlie Brown in his search for, true, for the true meaning of Christmas and going as he goes to each of his friends searching for meaning and purpose in his life. So Charlie Brown goes to his frenemy Lucy, and, and his frenemy Lucy, I believe she's friend and enemy. Anyone who pulls a football out from underneath me would be a frenemy of mine. Um, just saying, if you want to get on my bad side, push me down. Um, but Lucy tells Charlie Brown that he needs involvement. He's get involved. Um, direct the play is really what she wants him to do. Um, because for Lucy, being in control of things in life, that's what gives her purpose. That's what gives her meaning in life, being in control. And, and for many of us, we like to be in control. Um, so I see a couple elbows going today already, already. You know, but, you know, um, but what we find in, in this time of life, in this time of Christmas, in this season, is that Christmas is really not about being in control. It's really about giving God control of our lives and, and letting God hold the reins of life. Charlie Brown moves on, and he goes to Snoopy for guidance, and we talked about that as well. And, and Snoopy, Snoopy has this drive um, where he's going, doing the looks of Christmas and the tastes of Christmas and the feels of Christmas as Snoopy um, participates in the super colossal light and display contest in his doghouse. And, and, and then when that doesn't give him the, the peace that he wants, it, he moves on to, to food, and, and, and Christmas food is uh, you know, not, a, not a bad thing at all. I'm not saying it is. I'm not telling you don't eat those cookies. I'm just saying this is what Snoopy does. He goes to food, and then when that doesn't give him peace, he ends up dancing on the piano. Um, still, he doesn't find peace because when Charlie Brown is really looking for is not peace, he ultimately is really looking for something deeper than that, and that's really a joy, and that joy he finds is beyond the looks and the feels and the tastes of Christmas. It's, it's something that comes from God. And, and so we journeyed on with Charlie Brown to his sister Sally, who believes that she knows what Christmas is all about, and it's the presents. And, and Charlie Brown asks, asks Sally to, to make a Christmas list to send to Santa and goes through this big old list and, and finally gets to the end and says, you know what, just send money. Tens and twenties would be okay. Um, and Charlie Brown finds himself walking through this idea that money, he knows that money is not the answer. He knows that money is not the answer that he's looking for, for that true meaning of Christmas. And so Charlie, Charlie Brown continues his search for meaning and purpose. And searching for that spirit of Christmas, Charlie Brown goes on a mission tonight to find the perfect Christmas tree. That perfect Christmas tree. 
His instructions were simple in the, in the show. Find a big, shiny, aluminum Christmas tree. Now, I never understood that as a kid um, because I was born in the 80s, and this show came out in the 60s, but um, he was supposed to find a shiny aluminum Christmas tree and maybe pink. If you could find a pink one, that would be good. Um, but Charlie Brown finds himself walking through the Christmas tree lot with his friend Linus, surrounded by these aluminum Christmas trees that I had never heard of before in my life, In 1965, when this aired, aluminum Christmas trees were the most popular Christmas trees on the market. They were the Christmas tree on the market. Fun fact, aluminum Christmas trees dominated the market, in fact, for decades leading up to the 1960s. In January 1937, January edition of Popular Science, yes, I like looking at those things, thanks, Dad, they had an article in that magazine. There, there was an article about how to spray paint your regular tree with aluminum paint. Yeah, that won't hurt your kids. But, you know, to give it this liquid silver look to imitate an aluminum Christmas tree. It was in popular science, popular mechanics. And here's the crazy thing. 1967. In 1967, the aluminum Christmas tree craze had completely ended in the Americas. They were no longer, no one bought them anymore. And if you look up the history of the aluminum Christmas tree and you look at the articles, the books, and the newspapers, all of them point to one single event that caused the economic downfall of the aluminum Christmas tree market, and they all blame it on one thing. You know what it was? Charlie Brown Christmas. A year and a half after, one Christmas Full after the airing of the original 1965, December 9, 1965, and by Christmas of 1967, the entire aluminum Christmas tree market had been destroyed, and it was gone one Christmas later. Charlie Brown goes into the tree lot, surrounded by all of these beautiful aluminum trees. And the aluminum Christmas tree was everything that everybody wanted. Everyone in the culture, this was it. There was no Charlie Brown Christmas special before this point. This is what everyone wanted. Every home wanted this Christmas tree. Every one of Charlie Brown's friends wanted this one, especially the pink one. It was a beautiful tree. It was the culturally accepted tree. It was the best tree. The perfect tree. And I found this in a 1963 Sears Christmas catalog. This is how they defined aluminum Christmas trees. I find this fascinating. Whether you decorate with blue or red balls or use the tree without ornaments, this exquisite tree is sure to be the talk of your neighborhood. High luster aluminum gives a dazzling brilliance. Shimmering silver branches are swirled with tapered and ta tapered to, to a handsome, realistic fullness. A realistic fullness. It is really durable. Needles are glued and mechanically locked in place. Fireproof. You can use it year after year. Sears Christmas Catalog, 1963. That's the catalog that came out the year that this two years before this um, show came out. Instead of choosing the dazzling brilliance, the high luster, the exquisite Christmas tree, Charlie Brown finds this little, little, little scraggly-looking tree that, that everyone else has overlooked. Just this little, 
little nasty looking thing. No one would want it. It's not what any of his friends would have wanted. It's not what he was sent to get. It failed to meet all of their expectations. And now, 53 years later, when we see a poor, pathetic-looking Christmas tree, we call it a what? A Charlie Brown Christmas tree, yeah. It's a Charlie Brown tree. It's funny because this is exactly, this is exactly how God works in our lives. Exactly. It is very, very misleading. Very misleading to say that God works in mysterious ways. I personally don't like that phrase, God works in mysterious ways. It is much better to say and articulate that God works in unexpected ways. That God works in unexpected ways. That's, that's a lot more accurate. You see, the birth of, of Jesus, for instance, is a prime example of how God works in unexpected ways. You see, God coming to earth as a human being in and of itself is, is altogether unexpected. No one would have expected that. What, what, it, what, it was more, what is more surprising than the creator of all things, the universe, the planets, the cosmos, to be born on our planet to an unknown couple in a barn and to be laid in a feeding trough? Like, that's unexpected. That's not what anyone would imagine. Like, you can't make that kind of story up. Like, that's not what people would think about. This kind of thing has never, had never happened before, and it's never going to happen again. It was a one-time unique event, and it's, it's not something that meets our expectation. You know, what, what would meet our expectation is for, that was something that would make sense for us, would be for the birth of God, for God to become flesh, to be like proclaimed to everybody, like a, a message in the sky, here comes God, the creator of all things. That would make sense, because God made everything. He should be able to proclaim that he came. For Jesus to be born in like to a royal palace where he'd have like servants and stuff, like that would make sense. That would meet expectation. To be cared for by the best that the world had to offer. We're talking about the Son of God. It's the least we would expect. Well, that's not how God entered the world. Instead, Jesus was born into a humble home unexpectedly. He didn't arrive in Jerusalem, which, which held religious significance. He was born in a backwater town, Bethlehem, to Mary and Joseph, a young couple that no one knew about, who were unimportant. I mean, they couldn't even find a place to stay for the night, right? We're, we're talking about people who, like, didn't plan ahead, right? This is, the infant Jesus was laid in a feeding trough of all places when he was born, there were no attendants to care for him, just livestock. Rich and famous people didn't visit him. Shepherds visit. Shepherds. I know glamorous, the glamorous life of a farmer these days, but shepherds were dirty and untrustworthy and notoriously not the people you wanted to hang out with in the culture. Shepherds visited him. Not nice people. Jesus... There's nothing about the story of Jesus' birth that we would expect as God's entrance into this world. And yet, it's exactly how God chooses to do it. It's exactly how God has done it through history, choosing ordinary people to do extraordinary thing, things. You know, he's done it over and over again. Throughout history, you know, God chose an ordinary guy named Abraham to build a nation. You know, God picked the youngest brother, the scrawniest brother, out of a whole family to be king. 
and he chose the smallest insignificant family in Israel to be the parents of his Savior in the world. That's just how he does it. It's unexpected. And it's also how Jesus lives his life that's unexpected because Jesus was the kind of Savior that people didn't expect as he became an adult, right? He did things that people weren't expecting him to do. You know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't this political leader. You know, people were expecting like this military man who would lead a coup, an uprising. But he, he was like, peace be with you. Forgive your enemy. Pray for your enemies. When people were like, no, an eye for an eye. That's what they wanted. They didn't expect this forgiveness and this mercy and this grace thing and this eternal life thing. But Jesus repeatedly lived his life in a way that people didn't expect. You know, in many ways, Jesus was not what anyone expected, but it is precisely the way that God always works. And God still comes in unexpected ways in our lives. You see, the challenge that we face this Christmas season is figuring out. We have to figure out how to see God in the unexpected ways of our lives and in our world today because it's no different for us today as it was for anyone else throughout history as they were experiencing God in these unexpected ways. And to do that, we need to look for God in new and fresh ways, which requires us to look for God in the unexpected ways that God presents himself. So God is working in and around us. That's a statement. God is working in and around us. The question is, are our, are our minds and our eyes open enough to see Jesus as he moves? See, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. He did live in uh, a region of Galilee, and he did die in Jerusalem, but he hasn't left us. He's still living and moving in our lives, and we still experience Christ today. Because Jesus said that, you know, when you, when you feed the hungry, you're really feeding me and my name. And, you, and when you clothe the naked and when you do these things and when you express your faith and you live your faith, you're really doing it for me. Do you believe that it's possible to see God working? That's a real question to ask. It's a bold question to ask somebody. I know that. But it's Christmas Eve. Do you believe it's possible to see God in unexpected ways, in our world, in our lives, in the places and events and the situations of our lives each and every day? And, and, and when and if we can see God, can we love God and can we receive him when we see him? You know that the tree that Charlie Brown picked out, it was definitely not the one that anyone else wanted. It was not. It was not what anyone else expected, but Charlie Brown saw something in that little tree and he chose it to be his own. And the other calls, kids called him foolish. And one even called him a blockhead. I won't tell you who. But that didn't stop Charlie Brown from taking it home and decorating it. One red ornament. Changes everything. 
Everything I touch is ruined, Charlie Brown says. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> I feel that way sometimes. You ever feel as though your, your mistakes and your failures in life are just too much to overcome? Yeah, that's the... He puts one ornament on. You ever feel like your mistakes and your failures in life are just too much to overcome and overwhelm? Do you ever feel like your sins are too great to be forgiven? Because if you do, then the good news of the angels in our Christmas story that's been handed down through the generation, generations, are for you and for me and for all of us because we've been given a Savior who saves us in the most unexpected way. You see, the prophet Isaiah, put that down. The prophet Isaiah says this about the Savior. He says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, that bought, brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we, 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 up in the balcony, we are healed. We are healed. All of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of it that infects, I like that word, infects our lives because it feels like an infection sometimes. It infects our lives. That eternal penalty of our sin was, was laid upon the cross that Jesus hung on as he paid that price on the cross. In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You, now this is the problem with, with Greek. I, I, I lived in southwest Kansas for a long time. So the proper English for this pray, phrase here is, um, by his wounds, y'all have been healed. Because you is plural here. You, or all of you southerners here, y'all have been healed. The ornament on Charlie Brown's Christmas tree is red. As these are all red. Sometimes it feels like this the one thing, that burden that we can't carry anymore. The camel, or the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. Maybe that's not you. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's death by a thousand cuts. Either way. The guilt, the shame, the sin, the burden, the red ornaments represent our sin. The ways that we have fallen short. Paul says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short from the glory of God. All of it. It's represented in these red ornaments. You see, on our own, we're just like Charlie Brown, and, and, and we can't get things right, which is why we are all in need of a Savior. Every one of us is in need of a Savior. A savior to take the sins away, and that's precisely what Jesus does, and that's precisely what Jesus did, and that's precisely why Jesus was born. Luke 2, 10 and 11 records the angel, angel's message to the shepherds who were in the fields somewhere near Bethlehem. 
And they said this, do not be afraid. Because fear is often our first response to the unknown. You realize that? We often feel afraid to something that we don't know. We respond with fear. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, has born to y'all. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus, our Savior, took our sins on the cross to a tree. And tonight, tonight, we want to give all of you a red Christmas ball ornament to take with you tonight as a reminder of Jesus and what he did for you individually, what he's done for us, y'all, collectively, on the cross. So as you leave tonight, be sure that you take one of those ornaments with you. The ushers will hand them out as we leave this evening. Because it was our failures that took Jesus to the cross, that hung with him on the cross. And with that ornament bending that scrawny little tree in half, Charlie Brown's tree looked a little bit destroyed. But it didn't stay that way because there was still hope. Love. Love is the key. Love is the key to restoration. Charlie Brown's tree is restored by his friends as they surrounded it with love and bring it new life. And so too are we restored by God's love. As Jesus took our sins to the grave and died on the cross for us. But it was through the love of God that Jesus was raised from the dead and brought back to life. It wasn't God's love of Jesus that did that. It was God's love for us that did that. The author of 1 John said it this way, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an anointing sacrifice for our sins. You see, Jesus took our failures onto the cross and died for us because, because of God's love. Jesus himself said it this way, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for a friend. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for each of us, lay down his own life for each of us individually. Love laid down. And then God raised Jesus from the dead out of his love. Now, I want you to think with me for just one second on this. If God's love could become human form, this is a logical progression, and for those of you who don't know me, sometimes I do this. If God's love took human form, right? So God's love took human form. Human form, put it in Jesus. Jesus takes, out of love, God's love, takes all of our sins to the cross, hangs them there, dies, right? Jesus is raised from the dead, but our sins, sins stay in the grave because of God's love. God has defeated death. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. That's what the scriptures say. We're talking about God's love then being the most powerful force that we could ever experience in our lives. Because we're talking about a force powerful enough to not only take human form, but to absorb our failures and our sins and to conquer death and the grave. That's a pretty powerful force. 
And it's something that is at work in each of our lives tonight. So whatever your darkness is in your life, if you're experiencing a darkness, whatever it may be that you're facing, whatever trial you're in the midst of, whatever fear that's paralyzed you, whatever hopelessness that has invaded your heart, whatever discouragement you may feel, whatever hope that seems lost to you, no matter how distant you may feel from forgiveness and grace, no matter what trial, what sorrow, what anger, what pain, what feel, what situation that is involving your life right now, no matter what is going on, it can be overcome by this overwhelming power of God's love in your life. I want to share one more passage before we finish this evening from Paul's words because it encapsulates an understanding of love that I, that I cannot leave you tonight without saying. Paul says this, for I am convinced. Have you ever been convinced of something? You know it without a doubt? Paul says, I am convinced. I know it without a doubt. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither any powers, neither heights nor deaths, neither nothing else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says that nothing, absolutely nothing in all of creation, neither our failures, our fears, our doubts, nor our sicknesses, nothing, nothing, Nothing can separate us from God's love. Not even our sins. And when we place our faith in Christ, we've been forgiven, we've been reborn, and tonight we celebrate. And it's not just the little baby that we celebrate. It's not really why we're here. It's not really why we're here, is it? because it's so much more than a little baby born a bunch, a bunch of time ago. Yeah, a baby was born. Babies are born all the time. But what makes this one special is what that baby was born to do. And what that baby was born to do changes our lives and transforms our world. And the greatest verse that demonstrates this comes from John three sixteen and 17, which we hear so often but speaks so much truth. And it says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to save the world through him. And that, my friends, is what Christmas is all about. Now, I don't know why all of you are here tonight. Maybe some of you are here to appease a family member because mom said go to church with me and you did. Maybe you are here because that's what you do on Christmas Eve. Maybe you're here because you were searching for something and you've been searching for something and you found yourself here. I personally don't believe that you ever just magically appear somewhere. I believe that we all end up where we're supposed to be and that God works in and through all things. But that's Tim. Whatever your reason is, don't let the lights and the decorations and the presents and the trees distract you from what this season and this day is all about. Because the creator of all things, the world, the universe, and everything demonstrated the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen. And it began with the birth of his son coming into the world. And that is why we're here. But it wasn't just about a baby. It was about what that baby grew up to do and is still doing for each of us. So don't miss it this year. 
Let's pray together. Holy God, we are grateful for the unexpected ways that you enter into our lives. We ask that you open our hearts, Lord, to your presence so that we can encounter you in every unexpected way. Let this Christmas and all of the Christmases to come resonate in our hearts, not only as a celebration of your Son, Lord, but also as a reminder of your great love story for us. As we commit our lives to you, be present, Lord. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.